right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live, Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Para-X Radio Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and I am here with my co-host, the most stupendously awesome, Jason M. Caldwell. Well, thank you, Spooky Andrea Vitimus. What? How did I get spooky this week? Hey, I had to come up with a good comeback. This is like... Spooky? That's like... <laughs> that's like saying... Hi, Pee Wee Herman. What? <laughs> oh, well, it's Tuesday, and I'm drinking lots of coffee. Because, yeah, once again, everyone needs to know we have day jobs, and we bust our butts. Right, and if anyone wants to give me an ultra-quiet uh, keyboard for the show so I can monitor the chat room and... Uh, Get an ultra quiet keyboard that's functional. Um, we would love it because um, I need one because I having trouble building my sound box. So if someone wants to donate stuff to the show, feel free, feel free, so we can get an ultra quiet keyboard. Uh, since I'm the one who usually monitors the chat room and makes sure that the sound production stuff works, and I have to talk, which is hard sometimes. So do we have anything coming up besides probably Crucible in October? Definitely Crucible in October, and next week I'll have the official dates for you, because Arthur has just emailed them to me, and I haven't had a chance to really look them over yet. Okay, there you go. So Crucible in October. Um, we may be at Starwood for a weekend. Uh, just a weekend, because I have to work, and stuff like that. Um, you know, tonight, I'm, I'm pretty pretty jazzed who we have on the show uh, we have Josephine McCarthy on, and Josephine uh, is a longtime expert on Western uh, magic, but she's got a different spin on it. I mean, we've had various other experts on Western magic, um, but this is really the first time I've seen a book on Western magic that goes through what you should tangibly be able to do if you get to certain levels of ability. That isn't something you generally see in western magical books they kind of say oh you know this and this and this but there's tangible things such as exorcisms tangible things like house cleansing stuff that as a voodoo asant yes as a uh, hugana sagwe i'm expected to be able to do these things but i haven't seen a correspondence in western magic to actually tell people 
right? You haven't made it to this level of contact with the inner planes and the various forces unless you can tangibly do this stuff. Or that's not exactly what she says, but it's clear the first time I've seen it in Western magical books. And, and you know, was, which is very interesting because it's a true, actual, physical demarker of your progress. Exactly. Uh, and there was there's a few examples of that where it's actually you should be able to do this. You should be able to do this. It's not all left to. Um, Here's the tree of life, and uh, you go up the tree of life, and you don't have any measure of how your life should, should change. And I found that to be uh, quite refreshing. In, uh, and in a lot of ways, there's a, a great deal of, of respectful simplification of what is generally considered golden dawn magic. Uh, it gets to the meat of what the golden dawn was trying to do without the, um, well... The trappings, as it were. <laughs> Extraneous ceremonial memorization? Okay, well, there's that. Uh, so, yes, not without that. But I think it gets to a lot of the core ideas uh, that is is there. And uh, with that, uh, I'd like to bring her on the show and welcome Josephine on to the show. How are you doing tonight? Hi, Andrea. Hi, Jason. Uh, thanks for inviting me in. I'm doing fine. Thank you. We are very apologetic. Uh, I had seen various things and didn't know that you moved back to England. So we are doubly appreciative because it's like 1 a.m. there. Yeah, <laughs> it's really late. <laughs> but it's fine. It's good to talk to you, too. So thank you for coming on the show. I mean, besides me giving you all the kudos on... Uh, on what I found different about the book, there's there's a lot that we could talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the cores in reading all the books on knowledge, magical knowledge uh, that I got personally as an overriding theme was the notion of contacting the inner planes and getting there. And maybe mm-hmm. you could talk about how important that is. Well, it's it's ultimately important in magic. It's the, it's the foundation that magic stands upon. If you're not working with contact, working with spirits and inner beings, um, all you're basically doing is drama. You're, you're dressing up in the gold lamy outfit and putting the silly hats on and waving the wand around, and you, you're doing psychology. That's what magic is, is it's a stepping forward into the inner world and, and working consciously with everything that's around you that you can see and that you can't see. That's, that's what magic is. It's working with power and with consciousness, but outside of yourself. So this is one of the things where, you know, when young people come into magic, often the most popularist books they find on Western magic is very much based in psychology, which has its place. But there needs to be a stepping beyond that as well, and that does seem to have lost its way either writers feeling that they shouldn't write about it or that they don't do it. Well, I mean, you make a point of, in one way, in talking about, at least in the second book of Magical Knowledge, you know, talking about the polarization of our societies, you know, good, bad, and one Mm. of those probably is the material world Mm. and the mental world. Mm -hmm. Uh, People feel a need to express things in the materialist worldview because it sells more books, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's you know it, it, it's it's a wall that magic is bumping up against at the moment. Um, as you say, there's a lot of books out there that are, that are there to to make money. Um, there's a you know I I do know magicians who who work deep in the inner worlds but don't discuss it, don't teach it, don't write about it because they feel protective towards people and towards their tradition. I can see where they're coming from with that, but I, I personally don't agree with it. Um, I think the more it's talked about normalized within Mastering Magic, the more that people will realize that you don't spend 30 years looking in your belly button trying to, to sort of ritually self-empower yourself that there comes a time that you stop doing that and you start working with what's around you, with the powers that are around you. <clears throat> and it, again, it's, it, you know, the consciousness of the West is very much, what can I touch? What can I feel? What can I interact with physically and prove to myself? Um, and again, there's good reason in science for that, but in magic, it's not, it's not that cut and dried. And that is something that needs addressing. Um, I think in America, because there's, there's a lot more um, cross-fertilization, there's a lot more experimentation in voodoo and in tribal magic, where it's, it's a given. It's not an issue. Um, but it has seemed to have lost its way in the West, and I, I think it's time that it was talked about a lot more and, and done a lot more, a lot earlier on in people's training. Well, one of the things... I mean, there's a lot that we can talk about. But one of the things that I think was one of the core exercises was actually, and, and if, if people listening, if you want to get to know Josephine stuff, get her first book, Magical Knowledge, Book One Foundations. And this exercise, The Vision of the Void, look oh. over it. <laughs> um, but maybe you could describe this exercise because it seems to be one of those exercises that once you do that one, there's like ten others that circle back to that mm -hmm. exercise as a foundation, foundational okay. exercise. It is. It's a key. It's a key action. Um, different mystical traditions would recognize it. Um, maybe use different names for it, but but they would recognize it. Um, it's. It's an exercise and yet it's also magical working at the same time. It starts as an exercise for the student. Um, you, you go into stillness. So it's a stillness meditation to start with. And it, it's particularly vital these days because especially younger people, they have so much thrown at them so quickly in terms of media and the imagination is externalized so much through film, TV, games. They need to learn to slow down slow the monkey mind down and become still so it starts out like a meditation but the difference with the void is that it's not just a stillness meditation it, you you lay the foundation of consciousness for the stillness the emptiness that has the potential of everything so kabbalistically you're starting at the end of training at the beginning so it's kepa it's it's the very first divine consciousness that has all of creation within it but it's not yet expressed that's where you're going to with a void um, 
and in 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 times even in generations past it, it wouldn't have been taught until much further on that's not necessarily the only way to do it and I think starting with that starting with a stillness meditation with the idea that you can move into a stillness that's full of everything but there's nothing there but it's full of everything that's that's a, a major stepping forward because you're learning to move the consciousness outside of yourself while so, also meditating and being still Josephine what what I'm noticing here is a lot of traditions would put some kind of protection ritual here some type of banishing or mm. calling of the quarters or calling of the angelic forces and in this particular case I'm not seeing that no it, it's not necessary and it Yes, it is a it is a major part of a lot of traditions. Um, when I used to teach students, that was the first thing that used to freak them out: is you're not going to work with protections because you don't need to, for one. Um, simply because the tuning, when when you're working with certain magical visionary workings, if you're working in a set path that's been used for a very long time. It's, it's a well-trodden path. It has its own boundaries. It becomes established from an inner point of view. Uh, and so the frequency is well-established, like an energetic frequency. So you, you're not as vulnerable. Like It's like you disappear to a lot of the, the low-life consciousness beings that you would put protections up against, which would be parasitical beings, really. It's all very low-level stuff. Sure. Um, you you go out of out of their frequency, and the more that you work with that meditation, the more you go out of their frequency, because you're stepping into not a stillness and a silence. You're stepping into uh, a, a consciousness structure that's the edge of divinity. This is this is getting to sound really complicated. I'm not meaning it to. No, actually, you're but, yeah. explaining it quite well. I mean, you're you're laying out a foundation that other people have gone here before you and because you're using a set pattern you're entering a certain a certain predetermined road spiritually yeah. so to speak yeah i mean with visionary magic this is this is one of the joys that i discovered in america was that the consciousness of people in america is very plastic it's very malleable people are very open to things um which is a good thing and it's also a bad thing um, whereas the English are so anally retentive, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so, <laughs> me moving to the States is like, oh my God, but it did me the world of good because it tore me apart and put me back together again and made me a lot more malleable so that I can approach it in a much more malleable way. Um, and in, in England, they would not dream of setting out in a vision without knowing exactly the right path, the keys, everything. Uh, whereas in America, people would have the consciousness of, well, I'm going to make my own vision up. You know, who's going to stop me? I have the right to. I could do this. And they, they would disappear off into their own imagination, basically, and just wander around in circles. Um, what I'm trying to do is, is flow between the two. So the void, if you, if you read Kabbalistic texts, uh, not in uh, Christian hermetic texts, but in Judaic texts, uh, Mesopotamian and Egyptian texts, you will come across the void. It's a very, very old method. All mm -hmm. of the methods that I use are, are old methods that, that have always been used, that, because it's there. 
conscious, you know, the consciousness of a culture will find it because it's there, and they will work with it. And so you're working on something that's been working for thousands of years, so it's very safe. And you learn as a magician then to start working with other beings in a very fluid way. So, for example, in my house, I don't use protection. I don't need to. There's, there's, it's like Grand Central Station. There are beings coming back and forth. There are beings that live here. And they will tell me if something's coming close. They will deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. They will deal with it. Oh, now see, that and sounds like Saturday night in my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a magician come today and come and house it for me. And he was a grimoire magician. And he was very used to protections and this, that, and the other. And I just said, you know, just, just go with the house. Just, just see how you go. And um, he was really shocked because he's very psychic at the amount of beings that were flowing around and in and out the house at different levels. And they're at the frequency that they can pick up what I'm doing and they'll come and say, we need this. I'll do that for them. And in return, they'll keep an eye on the house. And then as you go, start going into deeper, um, I don't want to say higher magic, but that is the only vocabulary we can use at the moment. You start working in a more mystical sense. You disappear from that level of contact. Um, the closer in to the depths you go, the more the frequency ups. It's, it's like a radio station. The more it tunes, it tunes out the white noise. And, and the parasites and the, the sort of low-level beings are the white noise. And it, you just tune them out until eventually they're irrelevant. The other thing with that is if you're constantly protecting yourself from day one, you don't grow an immune system. You you don't get used to picking up on beings being there, finding out what they are, reacting accordingly. Everything is always a fear and defense in that, which is extremely unhealthy. So, I mean, do you, do you go out for a coffee and sit there with two guns on the table and a big ring around you? Say, <laughs> this is America, and some people may answer. Yeah, some people might answer yes to that question, um, especially in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah depending on what neighborhood you're from, yeah. And in Ohio too, they might they might actually say yes. We sit there with two guns on the table. You know, when we're going to drink coffee. Uh, but that's just, that's, um, that's one of the things. But your point is well made. I mean, um, well, yeah. I've, been, I've been doing this 35 years and I'm still standing. There you go. Oh, so, well, you know, it's, and I have lots of, sort of, lots of beings wherever I go. I just sort of, sort of trail along with me. You know, it's... I think that's also the other thing is the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Does it actually work in the long term from a healthy point of view? So, you know, I'll, I'll take a stretch here. The material that I skimmed over, it, it seems that you're... You skimmed? You skimmed? Hey. <laughs> Jason, see, you're supposed to say you sped red. Right. <laughs> well, you yes. use your advanced Both speed reading technologies to get Both through the book are quicker. True. <laughs> I actually I spent quite a bit of time to the point that Andrea was like, "Man, you're still reading that book." But anyway, that's because I wanted to go do magic, dude. I'm like, <laughs> you're at my house. I'm like, oh, "Are we gonna do any magic today, Jason?" I I had to take the opportunity while I had the book. But but anywho. Okay, it's, it seems to me that there, 
though, okay, your methods are Western ceremony, you seem to be more influenced by shamanism than, say, Golden Dawn. Well, I wouldn't call myself a ceremonial magician. I don't do ceremonies. I don't. I, I don't do the silly outfits and the booming voice or any of that shit. Um, yeah, I would say much more of a shamanic approach. And it, again, it's this. Does does magic? Is this this boxing of magic? Is this a modern occurrence? Again, if you look back to the ancient texts and the the older cultures if you go past the greeks and romans because they were Uh sort of the anal retentives of their time you go past back beyond them and you're getting into much more of a a loosely shamanic way of approaching stuff where you live among the magic you live among the beings i myself have more of a shamanic approach and that's this might be why i found this so refreshing because Everything you're saying is is how life goes for me. Wherever I go, there's sp- spirits who kind of want to hang out. They don't they don't mean me harm, and they don't mean anyone else harm. But they just hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them want stuff, and they'll do stuff for you. Yeah. But that's very much attuned with a as you were saying a little earlier. Have me having more voodoo training and some shaman training, it definitely is in the wet, at least in America, probably one of those things that isn't classical ceremonial magician magic. Mm. But then again, although I know that uh, a lot of people in the wet in America might be have more plastic, there's any number of people who really have very dogmatic magical mm. systems that that. Mm you're talking about but even my understanding of Egyptian magic is although it's ritual based it's much more pervasive and the spirits Mm. are much more intertwined with everyday life than maybe what western ceremonial magic has and I think the the issue with that with with western magic is probably the influence from Freemasonry which was the highly ritualized um so in in magic terms it's it's a fairly modern idea um and it, it does extract you from life it, you know magic is life it, you you live in magic as you live your ordinary life you, you use the same skills the same approach and i i think that more flowing way of doing it it doesn't suit everyone some some people need the heavy structure and you know i i do understand that but that doesn't cut it for me at all and I found when I moved to the States because the land is so strong there and it's so vast so you get all these different styles of consciousness in the land that when I moved from state to state you know the beings don't give a shit whether you're a ceremonial magician a voodoo you know a Siberian shaman they don't give a shit they just want to communicate with you and and they will find a vocabulary to connect with you and they will try and show you how other people connected with them, how other humans, and so they'll talk to you really slowly because you're stupid, and they'll keep showing you keys. You know, like, did you get that? Can you communicate with me, you stupid human? Um, Although I have seen, I have seen a ceremonial magician irritate forest spirits by using the lesser banishing ritual before in the middle of the forest, where they were sitting there, <laughs> when they were sitting there, like looking at them, like. 
this is our force. What the hell are yeah, you well, doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just that's just rude and arrogant. You know, why go out into the forest, out onto the land, and then do a banishing ritual? If you're banishing everything, what the hell are you trying to communicate with? Why banish everything? Do you, do you go out into town, into a nightclub, and banish everyone? <laughs> and that would be kind of funny if somebody did that, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know... Well, I, I like that analogy. It's like you're drawing drawing a line around yourself and having four armed guards stand there around you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's a little bizarre <laughs> because it actually doesn't work that well anyway. I once got into an argument with a magician about you know the the how good is is the the pentagram ritual um, for banishing and for you know for protecting. And I said, well, you know, we'll have a test. We'll see how, how long it takes me to hack into your ritual to see what you do. And it took me like three minutes. Because if you know the structure, you can get around it because it's it works, but it's clunky. You know, and it's it, it can easily be moved aside by a larger being. It will keep out parasites. It will keep out low-level beings. Um, but if a serious being comes along, it's just going to plow straight over that. And it has done. And I've had to clean the mess up with the magicians who've done ridiculously stupid stuff. And because they're a natural magician, it's actually worked. But their protections didn't work, and the way that they approached it was very unhealthy. And so they ended up getting in a mess. It's oh, far better to take your time and learn how to communicate properly with different I've, levels of beings. I've had that experience, not blowing myself up. Oh, I, I have blown myself up in ritual, but... Uh, I've had that experience where you have to clean up. People put yeah. too much faith in the yeah. in in the protections they have without really knowing what um, what they're up against because they didn't really ask things what you were up against. Yeah. Especially with exorcisms, I've seen that go very oh, badly, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've it's, even it's like giving a, a you know a, a young woman a gum and telling her she's safe. You know, if she knows how to shoot it, if she can hold it properly, if she can be calm enough to deal with it, fine. If you get some screaming princess who's never used a gun before and she has a gun and thinks she's safe and gets gobby with someone who's high and got a gun, it's, it can get to be a really sticky situation. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, even if they have the time to pull out the gun, there's a lot yeah. of questions, right? Right. Well, it's like, you know, the, the amount of women who walk around with a gun in their purse and they think they're safe. What, is the guy going to stop while he get your gun out of your purse? Do you say, excuse me, can you rape me in about, no, just just give me five minutes while I get my gun out? No. <laughs> you know, life does not work like that, you know, and magic is exactly the same. You have to work to the same rules. Well, Josephine, you brought up the idea of natural magicians who do things and they work because they have some form of natural ability. Now, yes. in your eyes, is a magician born, made, or can a unnatural, someone who has no natural gifting, develop power with practice? Um, yes, yes, no, yes. Okay. Oh, now I have to like figure out the questions. Because uh, the first one is people born. Okay, I got that. The second one is can they develop with practice? I forgot what the no was for. Well, yes, 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 and yes, but um, uh, could be no. I know people who are natural magicians who can't do magic because they're too scattered. They're naturally psychic, they can naturally connect and bridge, but they're so 
immature or fragmented that they can't pull it together. You know what I've seen with a lot of natural magicians, since I come from a family of natural magicians, sort of, um, is they tend to be overconfident. Yes. And, and, and that overconfidence does not serve... It serves them well at first. Uh, yeah. Like, they're good at first, but then it's like life doesn't go anywhere because they don't have... They didn't have to struggle with it. They don't... It's like they don't know the... The value of power. Yes, and it, and that goes through everything in life. Um, so my career, I was a classical ballet choreographer and coach, and the amount of dancers that that I saw come through the system, who were naturally talented and would rely on that and would not put in the work, um, seeing them peak and then collapse because. A classical art is 98% work and 2% talent, not the other way around. You you can take someone like in ballet with no talent and you can train them over a long period of time to be very, very good. Um, the talent is, is the artist that shines through that, but the discipline and the skills are, are work. So you can train in magic in the disciplines and skills you might never become a great magician but you could become a very good and useful magician the greatness comes from the natural talent going through the filter of of technique and hard work and, and knowledge discipline uh, experience um some there are some people who are just not suited to magic and no matter what you do with them it's just not going to happen and I, I have come across that as well. I used to be very gung-ho 20 years ago and think everyone everyone has the right to be a great magician and all it takes is training and then realizing there are some people it's just not going to work. It almost seems like for a lot of the people it, it never works. It, it, a lot of times comes down to really unreasonable expectations that no matter what you say, you can't get them out of. Like... Uh, you know, like, well, you're doing magic, so you should just get it instantly. And even though if you tell them a hundred times, uh, it doesn't really work that way, you know, you have to be congruent with your physical actions and, you know, all this other stuff. They just kind of have it in their head that that's the way it should be and yeah. that you're wrong because you're, you're <laughs> you teaching, you don't know anything because you, you obviously don't have enough power to do this instantaneously. That's not to say, I don't want yeah. people to think you can't do things instantaneously. Sometimes it does work that way. And, and that's not what Josephine's saying either. I, I don't think you are. But, um, no. No. but okay. generally, we'd all agree it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, what, one, of the, one of the problems that's coming up now that I'm seeing in, in some of the younger ones. It's, it's really interesting because the consciousness of the young generation that's coming up is very fluid, very interesting. And they're taking magic in, in directions that I wouldn't have even thought of. And that's really cool. But alongside that, there's also in, in a lot of younger people the attitude of, because they've seen it in a film or they've seen it in gaming, it, it, you know, all I have to do is have the recipe and it all works. You know, and right. it, 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 life's not like that. Give them a recipe book and stick them in the kitchen. Let's see if it works. You know, cooking, same thing. Again, back to life rules. 
having having the text in front of you does not a magician make you know, work doing it and finding out for yourself this was something Isaac Newton said in his writings was never never rely on the writings of other people never rely on other people's methods find out for yourself and that striving and wanting to know sends people down a road of experimentation and and they will blow themselves up a few times and learn a lot of lessons or they will come to a dead end and need to go back and think about it and think about how they're approaching it um, that's one of the ways I came up through magic was you know given two percent of the information and, and being expected to find 98 percent for myself and if I was still alive at the end of it I could come back and get another two percent Hey, hey Jason. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like what we talked about all last week? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like suspiciously, like so. Are you having a woo-woo moment? Yep. <laughs> well, we basically had a whole show on you got to do stuff, and if you don't do it, and it doesn't matter how good your guru is, and yes. It's well, this kind of is exactly it. what you just said. Yeah, and I think also because, you know, in the last 20 years, a lot more kids are going up through college rather than going to jobs and apprentices. You know, you, you go through college, you're taught in college, you study the book, you regurgitate the answers, you get the degree, you're good to go. And so they approach magic in the same way. And it's if they approach magic more in the way that you would a classical art form, so if you're learning to play a classical instrument or be a classical dancer or any of those sort of techniques or, you know, a writer or an artist, it takes years and there is, there's a lot of failure and there's a lot of hard work without getting immediate feedback results. Um, it, it's an art form you have to polish well, and you have to do most of that yourself. It, it's interesting because, okay, I think we can all agree that all magic involves some sort of trance state. So even if I hand you an exercise, a ritual, a banishing ritual, until you do it multiple times and actually feel what it feels like and, and mm -hmm. experience it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and have, I, it, have it fail and, and have I, the impact from that, then you will know what it feels like. Exactly. Where, where no amount of explanation on paper or even in words is going to give that to you. Mm -hmm. That's it's really important to do that, and um, it's like with with visionary work, people because you're using your own consciousness, it's very difficult to at first tell what's your imagination and what is actually really happening, and that can take a long time. That takes practice until it becomes very apparent what is you what's your imagination and what is a real contact that comes with time and work um, and it's the patience to keep repeatedly doing that down the trodden path um, until you start to see and, and have interactions that don't make sense to you and are from outside of you and then you go to an ancient text and you find it there then you start to see that it is actually working and that you get an impact from a contact, that you wander off the path and you do stupid stuff and you get a physical impact from it, a really bad one, then you realize, oh shit, this is not just messing about, this is actually working. What did I do wrong? How did I do that? 
how do I not do that in the future? How can I use that to my advantage? You know, it, it, that's when you start to develop and you start to ask questions. Once, once you've got the basis, and you start to work with the basis, and then you start to have experiences, and you will have bad experiences and good experiences, then you can start to adjust how you work for yourself so that your magical system eventually, over 30 years, becomes your own system. You're forging your own path. And what happens is, is this amazing thing where you think you've invented everything and forged your own path, and then suddenly you read an ancient text and they've done it all before you. Oh, man, I hate that. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> hey, 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 Josephine, have we distressed you? What? Have, have we put you in a state of distress? Because it sounds like you're sending out an SOS signal. I think it's I... Skype being evil to us. Oh, it's Skype yeah. being evil to you? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Skype is being evil to us again. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things, though, that uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about is that you, in, you may have outright said it, and if I, you did, I apologize. But it's implied that a lot of the inner worlds, the mapping system, it's not to say it is this, but the mapping system uh, actually maps to the endocrine system. Now, this is the first time that I actually saw that in print, too. It's something that I myself suspected. So maybe you could you could talk about that. By mapping, what do you mean? That it's the gateway. A lot of the endocrine system is how it, it's gateways to the inner inner planes. I might be saying it wrong. Um. I think well, I think a better way of putting it is because um, you wouldn't focus on the endocrine system um, but the use of the imagination triggers. Yes, that's, that's I mean, as you way. know as a psychologist yeah. when you use your imagination you have an effect upon the neurotransmitters in your body. You can yeah. change how your body's reacting to something. Um, and it's almost like the the I don't know if they're filters or if they're um, uh, buffers, but when when you have a deep contact with a, with a powerful being, it will affect your endocrine system. It's like the, the first part of your body that will react. Hmm. Um, and, and this is, you know, you, you'll see this when, if people are stretching in directions where they shouldn't be stretching, uh, their thyroid will get affected or their dopamine and serotonin levels will start getting knocked out. The bodies are very sensitive, very finely tuned, very finely balanced instrument, and the whole body reacts to power, but more, th there are certain parts of the body that react first, and the endocrine system is, is the first line, so to speak. Um, and I noticed this over the years of teaching that when we were doing very deep work, either you know going down the abyss, going into the underworld, or working with angelic beings, working out the stars, some of the people would start to manifest endocrine imbalances, which then led me to look at you know what am I doing wrong in as a teacher? That's where am I taking them in a way that's 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 causing them damage? What do I need to look at? What do I need to address? And a lot of it is about knowing how your body works, knowing what the weaknesses and strengths of your own body is, and, and looking after it properly, and attending to it when you know that you're going to be doing very powerful work, is be ready that it could affect your serotonin or dopamine levels. It could affect your endocrine system, your, your womb, 
your adrenal glands, your thyroid, your thymus. There, there, there's going to be a, a physical reaction. Um, now, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't say that, you know, this is what's exactly what's happening. What I can say is that if you do very powerful work, there is going to come a point where your endocrine system will react, and, and you need to work with that. Um, whether they're gateways or not, I don't know. But they're definitely um, major players in how our body works with power, with inner power, <clears throat> just as it works with outer power. So what do you think the practitioner needs to be aware of the most? I mean, what you're talking about, thyroid could be a major issue. Yes. Uh, adrenaline well, glands could be a major issue. Uh, what, yeah. what kind of stuff should we be aware of here? Well, <clears throat> one of the things that, that I, once I've blown a few people up, um, I figured out <laughs> <laughs> probably a really bad idea. <laughs> so, oh shit, just killed another student again, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you hate that <laughs> yeah so the body's on the floor it's a bit messy and what I was doing was, was going too deep too fast with, with, with people is to back them up and, and I eventually learned that when they're working in visionary work especially with students once, I mean this is not beginner stuff you, you, you wouldn't do this stuff with beginners but even with, with experienced magicians um that you 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 stay more to the trodden paths and you work a lot more with the beings that are on those paths and they will start teaching you how to do things that will protect your body if you ask them this seems to be major key in inner worlds is that they won't tell you unless you ask them and I, I was doing some work down the abyss and it was quite dangerous work and I'd, I'd already been hit once and, and got quite badly injured from it but I had, to, I had to finish this work, and I said to this being, well, you know, what, what do I do? How do I, this is what it's doing to my body, and he went, oh, that's, that's really simple. And he, he basically filled me with sand. So that's how I saw it from an imaginary point of view, this being filling me with sand. That's my vocabulary of my imagination. The being was doing something to ground and anchor me, mm -hmm. so that I was more solid. Or, or appeared more solid as I was going down the abyss and also was the, the beings that were deeper down the abyss thought I was a rock which was really bizarre um, it's about changing how from a, a, an inner perspective how we look uh, how you know how we're contained what beings we, we work alongside because well, I'm the, one of these I have to do it myself oh I can do it myself and they'll say, fine, get on with it, kill yourself, we don't care. And eventually you get to a point of learning, actually, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as clever as I thought I was. Could you help me? Which, again, is, is not rocket science, but then I'm stupid a lot of the time. And that took me a, a, a while to learn how to work with other beings to buffer the physical impact. Um, I also learned to work with homeopathy and herbs and, and also looking after your body. If you're doing a series of, of very heavy workings, is look after your body. If you're heavily stressed, don't do work that's going to hit your adrenal glands because it will stress you out even more. So do, do you see what I mean? It's it's like if you do rock climbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like no, no. To make 
you have to start to look after the body and realize that you, you have to treat your body like an athlete um, and and tend to it carefully. There's certainly I mean, a simple thing with the thyroid. I found taking kelp when doing very heavy work that stopped any of the thyroid problems. There's definitely been times after work that you know I have to sleep more or and that's normal because you've worked hard. Yeah, or or I have to for a couple of days go to the forest or and chill out with my allies there or stuff like that. So that certainly makes a yeah, lot of sense. It does, and if you're working with angelic beings, you know people. You know, people have got this sort of new eye, new age idea that they're sort of humanesque beings in white frocks and Birkenstocks and hair and beards and stuff. Yeah, and sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> You go in and you're confronted by this being with like a thousand eyes and just the weirdest shape you've ever come across. And you're like, what the fuck are you? And, you know, you get the full impact of the being. And the being fries you and goes, oops, sorry. Um, if, you, you're, if you even get the oops, sorry. If you were trying yeah, to make contact, yeah, you might sorry. get the, um, <laughs> the uh, well, you asked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but then you learn how to work with them through through you know, various looking after your body, working through certain ritual patterns, working in certain inner areas and not in others. You know, it become. I mean, it's 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 just like saying, how do you walk through a, a, a busy city and be safe? You learn the skills as you go along, um, and you use your common sense. Um, but yes, but angelic beings in particular do seem to freak the body out. Um, and it's all in your Bible, if you read your Bible, um, as to what interactions with, with angelic beings can do to you. Well, um, normally people, like in the Bible, like freaked out and fell to the ground and got scared. And have their shoulder put out, have their legs put out, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 because there were physical that. encounters. That's right, and this, this is what it's saying in those texts, is that it's an inner encounter which will have a physical reaction um, and it happens over and over again and, and you know you, you can have it just from the communication or the situations where the angelic being is trying to give you information and that will have a physical effect as well and there's an example of that in um, the Gospel of John um, or it, I think it's in Revelations um, where the angel gives him a scroll he eats the scroll. It tastes as honey on his tongue, but is bitter in his stomach. Right. Right. Now, yeah. a few years ago, this being was this angelic being was um, trying to give me information, and he gave me it's a scroll. And instinctively, without meaning to, I ate it because that's what it wanted me to do. And I had the shits for weeks afterwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is not fun, you know. Jason, it sounds like your particular method of ritual cleansing. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, my body was reacting to it because I, uh, you know, the uh, digestive system was processing the power, and I did get the. Inf- I did manage to extract the information eventually, but my my digestive system had to process it. It impacted it, and so you have to be aware that it does have very physical reactions, and they're not always what you expect, and they're not always very glamorous either. So get lots well, of time roll if you're going to ask. I, an angel. I think that's a, I think that's a 
big, big shock to people, especially if you're doing Western ceremonial magic, to get those kind of endocrine reactions. Now, it's not a big shock to me. It's mm-hmm. not a big shock to Jason because we do, well, lots of voodonic stuff, which has massive physical effects all the time. We're, mm-hmm. we're doing shamanic stuff and lots of body energy work. But mm-hmm. I think in a, in a lot of times, Western magic is so intellectualized that the, there's an, always a body effect for people. It, it's actually interesting that you're saying this because it's by the body effect that I know whether somebody can actually call down the angels in a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram or it's psychological merely yeah. by how my body reacts yeah and it's with with ceremonial magic what what they're essentially doing is calling the being into our world you know they're summoning the angel or the angelic being or the demonic being into our realm to try and make a contact now that's a lot of work and the, the contact is very fleeting um, and it's they only get a point one percent of the contact when they do that if you go in in vision you get the direct contact but you get the physical effect as well and I found after 20 years of just working in visionary work and beating myself up with it that actually coming halfway is a healthy way of doing it because if you just work from an outer ritualized point of view you very rarely make contact and if you do it's fleeting it's it's very weak um, and you have to combine the two and it, it took me again because I'm stupid it took me bloody ages to figure out that you work in vision and in ritual at the same time so you're exteriorizing it as you're doing the vision and that seems to balance it a lot more uh-huh. And I think that's the key that the Western magicians lost somewhere along the way, because they would rely, like in in the when the 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 original Golden Dawn started, they would have the Sphere Group, which was a group of women, who would scry to get the information, and the men would dress up in the silly outfits and do the rituals. Um, and it, it the the sort of scrying side of it got pushed into a corner somewhere, so it became much more about the rituals. And that, it became very disconnected. Um, and so you have this, either you do vision or you do ritual, but actually you do both. Mm-hmm. And it, it only tweaked to me when I was watching some tribal magicians and they, they were in vision and they were physically doing a ritual at the same, or doing the working at the same time. It's like, ah, oh, that's how it should be done. And started working that way and it's far more grounded. You get, you still get the physical impact, but not as much, and the, it disperses through the physical actions that you're doing, rather than stay in the body. So it goes through the body and out into the ritual, and doesn't stay within you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say in the one book I wrote, that was kind of the core of what I was getting at: is to push the intention through the action, not just do the action. Mm. Uh, so. And you're describing a lot of the same process. Like, okay, you don't have to have a visionary experience where your body gets torn up and you get sick. You can mm. push it through the mm. ritual structures. Mm. Yeah, you mediate it through, and and, and it goes into something um, rather than it it. It's like I'm, I'm just trying to find a, a sort of a way of explaining it 
maybe like from a voodoo point of view, I know nothing about voodoo, um, but I know you work with dolls and objects and, and statues and, and things like that. So if you were creating or, or, or creating a statue for, for a, a being or for a spirit, um, you would be envisioned talking to that spirit while you're making the outer image. Well, I would, but... <laughs> right, right. And, and then, so the, the, the spirit then passes through you as you're talking to it in vision into the object. So it's gone through you and out. It's not come into you and stayed. And it's, it's energy of the communication. When you communicate with someone, it changes you. There's a, there's a very subtle energetic change. When you talk with an inner being, there's a massive energetic change. Um, and you can either hold that in your body or you can mediate it through. So you mediate it through into a ritual, an object, an action. I'm I'm really liking this explanation because I know that we've done things like this, but I like the way that you explain it. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, and it's like, you know, people, when they see the action being done, they think that ritual or that ritual action of making something is, is it. That's the magic, and it isn't. That's just a part of it. And that most of it is actually going on silently in vision. And, and this is where you're back to, you know, the sort of 19-year-old want-to-be magician in his outfit waving his wand and doing his ritual and nothing's happening because it is just an outer expression it's there's no interaction to fill the outer ritual so it just ends up being a recipe book of recipes of rituals that don't actually do very much if anything at all um, you plug it into power you plug it into consciousness then you're getting something completely different so what was your magical inspiration? What what got you started from the get-go? Oh, God. I don't know. It was gradual, I suppose. You know, I, was, I got... I was doing tarot when I was uh, in my early teens. And I sort of... You know, I grew up in a... A sort of rural community that was very mixed. Um, there was a... So I was exposed to different types of magic from being quite young and also to, you know, I, I was in a religious family, in a Catholic family. Um, there was also a branch of the family that were Muslim. And the there was a lot of people moved in from Uganda in the early 70s. And we housed a family for a while um, when Idi Amin started kicking people out. And that community, it was a Punjabi community, and they'd, they'd been in Uganda for a few generations and had picked up the, I'm going to curse you to hell because you looked at me the wrong way sort of mentality. <laughs> so everyone was everyone was cursing everyone else. She's got big tits, I'm going to curse her. You know, all yeah, of that was going yeah. on. And, and so I sort of grew up with that, and, you know, I was naturally psychic. It runs in the family, so, you know, I was seeing things all the time, and I was very feral with it and totally out of control with it. And as a teenager, I used to drink to, to stop it, to, to block it off, because I, I didn't know what to do with it. And eventually I got taken under the wing um, in my late teens by a, a woman who'd come up through the Golden Dawn. And um, 
she'd sort of gone her own way and she, she was very psychic herself and slowly but surely she'd give me one or two percent and see what I did with it rather than sit me down and teach me things she'd go just just go try that go work with that tell me what happens and nice. and it's you know it just sort of developed like that slowly over a 10 year period until then I started um, moving into a wider magical community so I came up through it that way not through studying so I'm actually probably very badly read as far as magic is concerned um, I don't read a lot of magical books um, I don't have time for one um, and I, I never really did I read a lot of um, classical history theology, philosophy, things like that through school and through my 20s um, and, and so I sort of blundered my way through life magically until I was about 30 so it's you know, I wasn't in a, a, a lodge or a, a grove or anything like that. Um, and I didn't really get involved with magic in a wider sense with other people until, until I was 30. Uh, okay. And I married, I married a magician and a cultist and sort of got catapulted straight into it. Um, and because I was a natural and a psychic, it was duck to water situation. You know, I'd get one thing and I'd go away and I'd, I'd just get the whole lot and come back and go, bloody, 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 blah. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> oh, no, sure. this is really cool. I want to do this. Oh, look, I've blown somebody up. Oh, cool. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, uh, we've, we've got a couple minutes remaining. Do you have any public events that you'd like to promote? Anything coming up soon? Nope. I don't really do public events. Um, I do have a book coming out this summer. Okay. Um, it's called Magic of the North Gate. And it's a book about working intensively with the land, with land spirits, with your body. goes over a lot of the body issues that we've talked about. A lot of issues about how do you live in a magical home without tons of protection? How does it actually work? Um, and I'm talking about working with power through the body, through the land. And that should be out in, in early summer, coming out through Mandrake. Well, we're going to have to have you back on in, in summer then. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, if you could stay on the line for a second, I'll take us yeah. out on the music. Uh, yeah. We have Christopher Bradford, who's on Alchemy, coming next week. And, oh, cool. uh, oh, there you go. See, and then I will be scheduling people for the end of April and May this upcoming weekend. So, there you go, everyone. Have a good night. Um, thank you. Thank the Luminous again for his music. Just everyone stay online real fast while I take us on out.